behind your cross so that we can see Jesus and hear Jesus clearly. We love you this morning, Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is After God's Heart. And it's very interesting that when God first introduces David to Samuel, he doesn't introduce him by name. He introduces him by a quality that I've chosen somebody. He doesn't give the name. He gives this quality. He is, this is what marks him. He is after my heart. And so that's the title of the message is after God's heart. What does it mean to be someone after God's heart? And then you have the notes, but we've got it up here too. Point one, someone chosen by God and not man. So here's what happened. After God spoke this to Samuel, Samuel has no idea who God has chosen. But a few verses or a few chapters later, chapter 16, he gives Samuel this direction. I want you to go to the house of Jesse because one of his sons is going to be the next king. So he comes to the house of Jesse and Jesse has gotten the word. One of your sons is going to be the next king and he's getting the boys ready. And Jesse does not know which one of the sons is going to be king. All he knows is which one it's not going to be. It's not going to be David. David is the youngest. David, his day will come, but right now, David, somebody's got to watch your sheep. And so we're going to have this dinner party. We're going to get the king chosen. And you, you take care of business. He wasn't chosen by Jesse. He wasn't chosen by his dad. Samuel doesn't know which one it's going to be. In fact, he comes, the, the boys are all lined up, and they all look really good. They all look very kingly. They're just, they look smart. They're dressed up. They're clean shaven. They're ready to go. They want to, they want to make an impression. This is big. And so they are ready, and they are looking good. And Samuel starts with Eliab, and he's just impressed. He just backs away and like, oh my, surely... Surely the Lord's anointed is standing before me right now. This guy looks good. He looks like a king. He carries himself like a king. He is impressive. And God says these words to him. Don't look at what man looks at. Man looks at outward things. And that's not what I what I'm looking at. Man looks at intelligence. Man looks at charisma or charm. Man looks at uh, the, the handsomeness. All of these things that are outward. Man pays a lot of attention to degrees and education and all of these outward things. And God's not impressed with any of those things. God's looking at something else. David was not chosen by Jesse, and he wasn't chosen by Samuel. He was chosen by God. Listen to 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro 
throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Now, here is the awesome thing about this. Have you noticed that only a few people get to be the most beautiful or the most handsome and be on magazine covers? Only a few people get to have the greatest body. Only a few people get to be the smartest and the most intelligent. Only a few people get to be the most talented and gifted. And it's just always a select few. And I notice that I'm usually not in any of those things. But if this is about the heart, if what God's looking for is the heart, well then anybody, anybody can have a heart after God. Anybody can choose to have a heart after God. So in 1987, I was an investment broker here in Madison, and I had a dramatic encounter with God, and God was telling me I was going to be going into ministry, and I was working with the youth group at that time, and so I went to Roger Olson, who was the youth pastor, the other overseeing elder, and said, Roger, I just really feel, and he says, I see it, I believe it, and we'll, we'll just pray together. And sure enough, this pastor from Illinois, Grand Detour, Illinois, called Roger. He's from our fellowship of churches, and he, he said, uh, do you, I need somebody. I need somebody to be our, our youth pastor and administrative pastor. And, do you? and Roger said, yeah, I've got somebody. Come on up here. And so this pastor comes up from Illinois, and we meet together, me, Roger, and this pastor, and God is in the place. I mean, it is just really a divine sense. And so he says, I, I just... I really think this is God, but, but here's how it works. And I'm, I, was, I, did not, I was not raised in an evangelical church. I didn't know how churches operate. He says, it, it's not that easy that I think it's God. We, you need to come down and candidate, candidate. And I'm like, okay, what, what does that mean? He, he says, well, you come down and You'll meet with some of the people, and then you'll speak on a Sunday. And so, okay, I'm game. We pack up the car. We go down to Grand Detour, and we have a Saturday night meal with a few people. And then I preach on Sunday. And frankly, I, I thought it went really well. And uh, next, next week, I get a call from uh, the pastor, and he says, uh, he says, you know, thanks for coming. You know, it was really good. He said, uh, is there a chance that you could come a second time? And once again, I have no idea how it works. I'm just like, okay, yeah. If this is part of candidating, no problem. So I come down. The, the second time, meet with a few people. It's, it's time to preach. It's right before preaching. And pastor pulls me aside in his office. And he says this to me. He says, hmm. Uh, he says, you know, last time when you preached, he said, you walked back and forth the whole time you spoke. And, and he said, some of, the, some of the people were a little irritated by that. He said, how about if this time you just stand right behind the pulpit the whole time? And I'm like, okay, I can do that. And so, uh, so I, once again, I, th this time I stand behind the pulpit the whole time and I think it was pretty good and uh, go back home and, uh, you know, I don't really know how this, get a call. It's the pastor again. He says, hmm, yeah, nice job on, on Sunday. Um, is there a chance you could come down and, and, and preach again, candidate, one more time? 
And even I'm, I'm slow, but I'm not that slow. I'm like, really? Yeah, okay. So I, I get down there. It's, it's Sunday. It's about time for me to preach. It's, it's several hours to get down there every time. So it's not a small thing. Anyway, um, so it's, I'm just about to go on to preach. And he pulls me into his office again. He said, you know, last time, he said, I told you to not, to not walk around and, and to stand behind that pulpit. But he said, I don't, I don't know if you realize this, but they had one of these gooseneck stands. He said, you played with that thing the whole time. It was really, he said, it was really irritating. So he says this, why don't you just go ahead and walk around again? And I finally was accepted as the youth pastor and the administrative pastor down there. And, and it wasn't really until afterwards I realized what actually happened. Here's what happened. God wanted me to be down there. The people, the people didn't want me. <laughs> the Bible says this in Revelation 3, 7 and, 7 and 8, that Jesus has the key of David, and I open doors that no man can shut. And I shut doors that no man can open. Friends, when we're trying to please the right audience, which is God, instead of trying to be chosen by people and try to get people to like us and try to get people to hire us and people to date us, and we get our eyes off of people and trying to get people to do something, and we get our eyes on just pleasing him, he wants you to know something. He can open doors that no man can shut, no matter how hard they try. That church wanted to shut that door. I don't know why they were so irritated with me, but they didn't. They didn't. God said, no, no, he's going to be, no, he's going to be your next youth pastor. I don't care if I have to bring him down here 10 times to Canada. He's going to be your youth pastor. Someone after God's heart is someone chosen by God, not man. Point two, someone who believes God. You know, David is such a great example of someone who believes God in chapter 17, where we have the story of David and Goliath, and, and we learn a great thing there, because you got all these people that believe in God, the Israelites all believe in God, but when they actually need their faith, they actually need to believe God right now, they, they are intimidated by Goliath, and they, they become paralyzed. And so it's a, just a great, a great lesson there. David believes God. God. David comes in a different spirit. He believes God in the midst of intimidation, and that could be a whole sermon, a hundred sermons, but that's not what I want to talk about today. There's something else that David believed that I believe is even more at the source, at the root of who he is and why God could use him in such amazing ways. And it's found, found in Psalm 18, verse 19. We'll have it up here. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Delight. Delight's a big word. Delight is great pleasure in. He, David believed God found great pleasure in him. 
This is at the root of why he is the man after God's heart. He's got this capacity to believe in God's delight in him, even when he's broken, even when he's failed, even when he commits his horrible sins, he comes back and says, God, you're, I know you're going to accept me. You accept the sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart. I know I'm back. I'm back. Believing not just that God loves you, but that God finds great pleasure in you. So I had an experience a few years ago that transformed my, my Christian life. We were, we, we were during our, it was during our missions conference and the missionaries were, we were, we always have a spiritual event for the missionaries. And so we were all out uh, at this horse farm where this lady teaches us spiritual truths through horses and this was all set up for the missionaries, and we get out there, and she does this whole morning thing, and before we do the afternoon thing where we're going to actually be with the horses, she says, I have a, an exercise for you. I want you to go out, and I want you to be quiet. Find a lonely place, just you and God, and be quiet and listen. Just listen for what he might say. I want you to just be absolutely quiet for a half hour. Just take your journal and, be, and listen for what God might say. And of course, it's for the missionaries. Alice and I just happened to be along because they wanted us to, to be along. And so I'm not even thinking this is really for me, but I'm doing the exercise. I'm part of this. I get very quiet, and I have this sentence come into my mind. Live loved and not afraid. Pastor loved and not afraid. Parent loved and not afraid. That was the sentence. The first thing that struck me was this was not about my theology. <laughs> I, I had a good theology about God's love. I preached on God's love all the time. This wasn't about theology. It was about identity. It was about what I was actually living out of. Not what I believed I should live out of, but what I was actually living out of. I, I want you to live loved. Not live for love, but live from love. I want you to pastor loved and not out of fear. And here's the image that came into my mind. We have one day a year that was always my worst day. It was our whole pastoral staff goes through our membership list once a year and we decide who we're going to send out letters to to possibly lead small groups in the next year. And we go through this membership list and it's in this time that we go through this and we find out everybody that's not going to our church anymore. Oh, yeah, no, they don't go here. And because all the staffs are, everybody knows, no, they go here, they go here, no, they move, no, they, and I just hated that day. And here's why. Because everyone that wasn't coming anymore, I took it personal. That I wasn't a good enough pastor, that I didn't visit them enough, or I didn't lead enough, or I didn't preach good enough, or, or there was something that I failed at. And 
it created this fear. And it, it's horrible because when you're, when you're driven by fear, then now I, when I leave that room, I've got to be a good enough pastor to get people to come to this church. I've got to be good enough to keep people at this church. So every Sunday, I'm kind of like on trial because it's, this all depends on me being good enough. And he, what this was, this, he just was showing me there's, there's a lot of fear driving you. And I'm like, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I, I want, I want to pastor loved, not afraid anymore. I, I, I got a new, a whole new way of thinking. First John 4.18 had always been a little I didn't know exactly what it meant. Perfect love casts out all fear. And I always, I, I, I don't know why, but I had always thought if I love more perfectly, then I won't be afraid. And if I really love people, I won't be afraid anymore. That's not what that verse is about. That verse is about perfect love. Perfect love is not my love for God. It's his love for me. This thing starts with his love for me. That when I live loved, when I receive the love of God, when I allow my identity to be wrapped up in the love of God, I lose all fear. And this radically changed my quiet time. I always used to start my quiet time with Jesus, I love you. I don't start it that way anymore. Here's how I start my quiet time now. Jesus, you love me. I'm your delight. And then I had something open up to me that I had never seen before. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Heaven's open. And God speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am delighted. Well pleased. Delighted is well pleased. This is, this is the identity of Jesus. This is, he hasn't preached yet. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't cast out any demons. He hasn't even started his ministry. This is his identity before he does anything. This is my loved son in whom I am delighted delighted in. Now watch this. The very next verse, that's Matthew 3, 16 and 17. The very next verse, he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. Now, these temptations are really, really important because we're, we're going to be tempted the same way. And, and the temptations are not what you would think they would be. It's very insidious. The first two temptations start the exact same way. Here it is. If you are the son of God. He has just been told from heaven, you are my son. I love you. I'm delighted in you. This is your identity. And the, the attack of the enemy comes this way. If you are the son of God, prove it. Do you see what's happening? It's an insidious attack of insecurity. Doubting the identity. Creating insecurity. If Jesus operates out of that insecurity, oh yeah, I need to prove it. I need to prove it. I need to prove who I am. I need to prove to others. What, what happens? It, whatever you act out of, you empower. If he acts in that insecurity, he empowers that insecurity. And his whole life, his whole ministry is going to be him trying to prove himself. Always trying to prove himself. Why? Because that thing, when you act in it, you empower it. And Jesus, of course, stands against it. I refuse. I refuse to operate out of insecurity. 
I refuse to try to get people to love me, to try to get people to affirm me, to impress people. I refuse to. I live as the beloved. I live from love, not for love. From favor, not for favor. And I saw this and I'm like, oh dear Lord. <laughs> this, this is why we're going so slowly. <laughs> Because we've got insecurity all over the body of Christ. Everybody trying to be, get other people to like them and affirm them and love them. And, and it's probably as prevalent as the minist- in the ministry as anywhere else. This is the performance culture of America. Absolutely changed my life. Absolutely changed my ministry. I get to live from love and from his favor. Did you know that the relationship of the Father with Jesus is his gift to us in Christ? That the Father loved, Jesus prayed this, the Father loves you, speaking of the world, even as he loves me. Jesus in salvation gives us this new identity that has nothing to do. Our brother already said all this. All right, let's move on to point three. Someone chosen by God, not man. Secondly, someone who believes God. And then thirdly, someone who chooses God. Psalm 27, verse 8. We hear an invitation from God to David. here's Here's the verse. Actually, I don't know what translation this is, but the NAS says this. My heart has heard you say, seek my face. Your face, O God, I will seek. My heart heard an invitation from heaven. And the invitation was this, seek my face. And David then gives us his response to that invitation. Your face, O God, will I seek. So, the interesting thing is when this invitation comes to David. God's face, it's an anthropomorphic uh, picture of seeking God for who he is. It is over and against God's hand. God's mighty hand is what God can do for you. And it's all the way through scripture. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. God can do whatever you want. He can raise his powerful right hand and he can move mountains for you. He can can do anything for you. And that's his hand and his face is who he is in himself. Well, here's what's going on in Psalm 27. David says in verse 3, though an army encamp against me, I will not give in to fear. And then in verses 13 and 14, he, is, he said, I would have despaired, but I'm believing I will see the goodness of God in the land of living. This is a time when the goodness of God has not been manifested in front of people. We think it's hyperbole. Even if there's an army, I won't be afraid. No, no, no. There was an army at the door. David, after he gets anointed, after he kills Goliath, he's made general, and he's just going in the right direction. This is what it should look like. This is what my life should look like. I'm I'm seeking God. I'm loving God. So it's getting better and better and better and better. And then all of a sudden, the the king 
present king Saul becomes demon-possessed, becomes jealous of David, and starts chasing him and trying to kill him. And he, he, he loses his job, he loses his, his marriage, and he is now being chased in the wilderness by an army. And he's got a few guys around him, the debt-ridden, the, the discontent, the disillusioned. Those are the people that are with David. Thank you, Lord, for this community. Um, and they are, they are with him, and they're hiding in caves. And the army of Saul is outside waiting. And in the midst of David needing, like never before, the hand of God, needing God to do something. God, crush my enemies. God, make me king. God, fulfill my promises. God, I've, tr I've trusted you. I've served you. I need your hand to come and do something. Change my circumstances. God comes instead in the midst of this and gives a different invitation. He says, David, I'm calling you higher than your circumstances. I want you to seek my face. And there was something about the wooing of God. There was something about this intimate call in his heart to seek the face of God that absolutely won David's heart. And it ended up defining his whole life. He gives his defining goal of his whole life in Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing have I desired. And that will I seek after. This is what I'm going to give my energy to that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I might behold the beauty of the Lord, that I might meditate on who you are and your ways. This is, this is amazing. One thing. This focused life. One thing. This is what I'm going to seek. This is what I'm going to give my energy to. It's not to be king. It's not to have a bunch of stuff. It's not to be successful in other people's lives. This is what I'm giving my energy to, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord was the temple. The, the, at that time, it's actually the tabernacle. It was the only place where God's presence was manifest all the time. So what he's saying is, I don't want to visit the presence of God. I want to live there. I want to, I want to live there. I don't want to visit on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night, and once a morning for my quiet time, and one in our connect room. I want to live there! I want to dwell there! I want to be in your presence. I want my home to be your presence. I want to behold your beauty. I want to know who you are. I want to, I want to see the beauty. I want to know why you do what you do. That's meditating on his ways. I want, I, you are the greatest prize. You are the greatest reward. So I want to end with this. In 2009, fall of 2009, I had a dream. And in this dream, in the first scene of the dream, I am in a, in, a, in a fight with a guy that doesn't have a face. And I am exhausted in this dream. And it, it's not, a, it's not a, like a boxing match with rules. This is an all-out, to the death. We're kicking, scratching. I mean, this is just, and I, I'm just, I'm just I, I feel like I am about to, to die. 
and I, I, I take my elbow, and I, boom, and he goes down. And it turns out what we're fighting over is he has stolen the tabernacle, and I'm trying to get it back. And so we're, we're fighting. I get him down, but I know he's not down to stay. I know he's going to get up again. So I'm, I'm frantically looking, uh, and I find the, uh, this suitcase that has the tabernacle in it. Okay? That's scene one. <clears throat> scene two. I have got the tabernacle all set up. And let me tell you where I've got it set up. We're right on a seashore, and it's set up on this pallet. There is a ship coming to pick up this pallet, and the tabernacle, I've got it all, I've got it, I don't know how it fit in that suitcase, because it's huge. But it's on this pallet, it's ready to be picked up by this ship. There is a problem, though. The ark wasn't in there. The ark is not there. And the ark, of course, is, is the reason for the tabernacle. That's where the manifest glory rests, is on the ark of God in the Old Testament. And so I'm frantically now looking for the ark, and I'm going through his stuff, I'm going through his backpack. I cannot find the ark, but there's a fear rising in me, because I know he's going to wake up any minute. If he wakes up, I don't think I can fight him again. And so I go down to the seashore, and there's a phone there, and I call ahead to the ship, and I say this, are you willing to pick up the tabernacle without the ark? And the ship says, yes, we are willing to pick it up without the ark. And I hang up, and here's how the dream ends. I have this thought. He, meaning the enemy, would never have guessed that we would leave without the ark. And I wake up, and I'm just like, oh my this is a God dream. This is a God dream. And with prophetic things, oftentimes you know it's God, but you don't really know what it means. And with my personality, that doesn't stop me from telling people what I think it might mean. And so I kind of came into our staff and, and I'm like, guys, we, because we were just making small groups and cell groups, I'm like, hey guys, we need to get back to God. We, we're, we might be doing all of this and, and not having the presence of God. And, and I had all kinds of interpretations. And in the months that followed, I, I thought about this idea of would God let a church, or a life for that matter, sail without the ark, without his manifest presence, his manifest glory? And of course, I had to come to the conclusion, yeah, he, he will. Isn't that what happened with Moses? where he said, Moses, go ahead, and Moses had to be the one that said, God, God, I, we're not going without your presence. God said, I'll, you'll have my blessing, you'll have the milk and honey of the land, you'll have my protection, um, the only thing you won't have is me. And Moses said, I won't go without you. It's only your presence. It's only your presence. And we can imagine what God felt. We know the church at Laodicea was doing church without his presence. That Jesus is knocking at the door and saying, hey, you guys forgot something. 
You're, you're very content and you've become filled with yourself and you're sure you need nothing and I'm not even, I am not even manifest in your midst anymore. I, I'm knocking. I want you to open up. And so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this thing that, that yeah, you can, you can do it without God. Isn't that the story of Martha and Mary? That Mary, Martha has been distracted by her much serving and Jesus says to her, Mary has chosen the good part. The implication is, is Martha, you could choose this too. This is available, but you have to choose it. You actually have to choose it. It doesn't automatically happen. And so I'm, I, I got filled with, with these thoughts and, of course, shared them everywhere. Anyway, um, I still didn't know what the dream really meant. It's kind of ironic that I, w- I went down to and took our whole family down to the One Thing Conference down in Kansas City. Because it was the first time I ever went to the conference I, because I wanted to get this right. What, God, what, I don't know what it means, but I know this. I need to choose your presence. I need to choose your glory. We need to, it's not an automatic. So we're down there. They were having awakening meetings that year. And so four straight nights, 6 p.m. till midnight, every single night in the presence of God, Crazy stuff was happening. I wasn't focusing on anything. I'm just like, God, I need your presence. I need your presence. January 1st, 2010, I wake up. I wake up, and I know the interpretation of the dream. The dream has nothing to do with about our church or about the American church. It has to do with me. That when I came to Madison in 2007, I was filled with revival and, and doing God's thing and and I just experienced setback after setback. And instead of revival coming, the church kind of split. And, and all these discouraging things happen. And our house didn't sell. And, and I, just, I just hated my life. <laughs> and, and what I was, I was worn out. I was exhausted. What the Lord showed me was I still had the same theology about life and revival. But I was, I was about to miss it if something didn't radically change. And isn't God good? And so I, I've repented and I've, 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 I've reordered my life around this. And, I, and just because I've got a theology, just because you're having meetings, just because you talk about it, doesn't mean you're actually seeking the one thing. Could we stand together? I'm going to turn this back over to Pastor Glenn in just a moment. Would you mind just opening your arms like this to the Lord? Father, I thank you for this amazing church and these amazing people. Lord, I just want to pray first for those who, in their heart of hearts, have had trouble believing that you delight in them. Lord, we're, we just get hammered by our bad performance and we can't, we, it's very hard for us to understand delight apart from performance. Would you break those strongholds? Would you break those lies? I just, I just see Jesus lifting up your face because you've been looking down at yourself at your own failure, at your own sin, at your own performance. And you just have assumed something. You've assumed that the eyes of God have 
uh, disappointment in them. And I just see him lifting up your head so that you can see what's in his eyes because his eyes are burning with fiery delight for you. He feels about you the same way he did when he died for you on the cross. He's crazy about you. So God, break everything less than that. And then, God, I just have to pray, secondly, for any of those who have just become exhausted in this journey. People that started out going for God's presence, going for more of the Holy Spirit, going for those, that surprise of heaven that where you do things that only you could do that, that makes it all worth it because God is here. Our, we're not our hearts burning. And God, I pray for those that the surprise is, is gone. And it's just, we're just left with church. We're just left with meetings. And today, you are inviting each one. Seek my face. Come higher than your life that's beating you up. Come higher than the battle you're in. Come higher. Seek my face. Give energy to this. Lord, break Break the heavy burden, I pray, and renew us, as David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Cast me not from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit. Restore me, Jesus, to that first, first love, I pray in Jesus' name.